uh, no rest for Frank Saravalli. It is the arguably the biggest week in the NHL if you're into transactions and not like games as much. But I mean, some people are transaction season. I love games, but this is pretty exciting too. It's pretty electric. It's pretty electric for insiders who are trying to track everything that's happening. Just like being on Twitter wasn't enough over the weekend. There was a lot of stuff going on. So let's get to our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. That is Frank Saravelli, NHL insider and president of hockey content at DailyFaceOff.com. Good morning, Frank. How are we doing? I'm pretty good. Just uh, trying to stay upright in Nashville. Oh, okay. So we made it to Nashville. <laughs> a difficult task. Was uh, like, yeah, I mean, I get like... Obviously, you've got to mix work and play. Uh, but when the weekend is as such, do you make Sunday night worth it on Broadway? No. Uh, <laughs> too early to be playing that card. Here's the thing also. like, It is so disgustingly hot here. Anytime you walk outside, you feel the need to immediately burn your clothes after. And, uh, wow. yeah, I don't know that I packed enough for this. And it's, like, all open air, too, bars in Nashville, right? Like, you're not escaping the heat no. even if you're inside, right? It's like walking into a blast furnace. <laughs> wow. It's, it's bad. Hey, like, I, uh, you know really what? really bad. I appreciate this because I am less jealous of Ailish, who you will probably see bouncing around Broadway at some point uh, if you have not already. Look, I, it just takes me back to Barry Trotz in the final with the Caps. Got to hydrate. <laughs> Got to hydrate. Got to hydrate. Okay, so let's get into the happenings uh, over the weekend and all the scuttlebutt. We were, we're big fans of scuttlebutt, so let's hear about said mm -hmm. scuttlebutt. I think the biggest thing, at least in terms of consequence, when looking about you know winning games and being a powerhouse maybe in the Western Conference, the idea that Pierre-Luc Dubois could end up in L.A., that's uh, that's an interesting one. Uh, what are you hearing when, uh, or as it pertains to PLD potentially ending up in LA? Real possibility. The Kings and Jets have been talking uh, for a number of days and/or weeks. I I did hear rumblings on Saturday, and in fact, hinted at it in a tweet that uh, the Jets and Kings appeared to be close on something. Um, and look, I, I've seen the report saying that the Kings are negotiating with Pierre-Luc Dubois. I, I do think they're talking, but I don't, I don't have any confidence that it's done yet because I also think the Jets are talking to other teams as well. So I think there's a lot going on. I think the fact that the Kings made the Sean Dersey trade on Saturday was, that was to set them up. Um, I think they're going to use the second round pick in 2024 that they got as part of that deal. Plus the additional cap space. It's not really cap space for this year. It was setting them up for a long-term play because they were looking at it saying, we can't really afford Sean Dersey's arbitration number a year from now, or at least we're not thinking we can. So that was the sort of the first domino to fall. And I know that the Kings had told teams then look, we're moving Sean Dersey, not because we don't like him, but because we need, we need to make something happen because we have something else on the line. Do, do we know, like, 
now what Pierre-Luc Dubois actually wants? Like the the whole, uh, you know, the rumor was only Montreal. Do right? they speak mm-hmm. a ton of French in LA? <laughs> yeah. So so what's going on there? Does he just like, you know, not only Montreal, but yeah, maybe I'll do LA and LA sounds pretty good. Or is it still, you know, there's some risks there associated with, you know, even entertaining the idea of bringing Pierre-Luc Dubois in. Well, I also think that there's some risk in terms of the actual player himself. Um, He's not the most consistent player. And there are flashes where he looks like a game breaker. And then there's 30 games a season where you don't notice him at all. And so I think there's risk from that perspective. I think there's risk from, you know, in terms of that play and then potentially overpaying for it, both in terms of contract and assets that you give up to get him. And then, as you mentioned, the Montreal risk or or factor, there seemed to be some suggestion somewhere that maybe he ends up signing a short-term deal in LA and it's not a a seven, eight year deal. And you know, he, this is a place that he, you know, is, is a temporary stopgap in order to get him to Montreal. There seems to be all of that speculation out there. Um, it's difficult separating fact from fiction when it comes to exactly what he wants and what he's looking for. But look, the idea of the King stacking Kopitar, Dano, and Dubois down the middle, especially ahead of potentially Kopitar's last year, got to be pretty enticing if you're an LA Kings fan. Yeah, it, uh, it certainly is. Uh, fan morning show here, Brent Cutting, Justin Cuthbert, talking to Frank Saravelli about a busy, well, sort of busy, a lot of rumored busyness uh, in, in the NHL this weekend. And, you know, sometimes we'll see at the deadline, obviously, this is another super busy trade season in the NHL that a dam needs to kind of break. One domino needs to fall. Now, to me, all of these rumored deals seem completely separate from one another. You look at what's going on with LA there, potentially. Of course, we see what's happening with Philly and St. Louis. Do you see any connection or do you think that once one of these deals goes through, we see a bit of a cascading effect or do you think they're all kind of separate? entities Frank uh, I think some of them are separate entities like I think that there was some connection between the Kevin Hayes deal that fell apart going to St. Louis and also the Tony D'Angelo deal that fell apart then connecting him to Carolina I think there was some intermingled property somewhere that was going from St. Louis and ultimately ending up in Carolina I don't have full sight on what that was but I do think some things have been connected but for the most part the other part of what you're dealing with here is there's a whole bunch of teams that kind of want to just get settled in Nashville and really understand and, and feel hope they can get a better grasp of the draft board before they actually pull the trigger like that's as exciting as this weekend was in terms of conversation and chatter not a lot got done because I, I truly believe that a lot of these are attached to picks and, and they want to know, hey, what's the best view we can get possible of this draft board before we go about making some of these moves? What, what do you make of the Flyers' uh, strategy here and Danny Briere? I guess more specifically, the the leash Danny Briere has to do what he believes is necessary, which is pretty much going scorched earth, or at least it seems like he is 
able or given the green light by the reporting to really tear it down to the studs when previously there's been pressure on Philadelphia general managers to try to field or ice a contender. Are you at all surprised that Breer's getting um, the grace uh, that a lot of first-time GMs would want, which is the opportunity to build or tear down before building back up organically? No, I'm not surprised because I think as he's worked there for the last number of years, internally, he had begun selling them on this idea that, look, as great as it is that you guys want to flex your financial muscle and be competitive year after year, the fact is just look at the standings. You're not. And the way you're doing it, trying to constantly patch over and sign big free agents and pull off a trade and trade your first-round picks, it's all catching up to you, and it's never going to build a sustainable contending team. And so the only way to really get out of that and start over is to go scorched earth and get to the bottom as fast as you can, like the Chicago Blackhawks did, and try and you know reboot and, and get back to the level you want to be at in five years and then hope that that unleashes a 10-year window where you can be one of the best teams in the league. And, you know, will it be successful? There's a million questions as to whether or not that'll work. But here's the flip side alternative that I would offer to any Flyers fan out there that's sitting here going, why are we trading Travis Konechny or Travis Sanheim or Carter Hart or all these players on our team that are pretty good? And the answer is, you've been in the bottom five of the league with those guys in the lineup. How about it's time to do something different? Yeah, it certainly is time for, for a new direction there. And yeah, you mentioned, you mentioned the financial might. I, the, the quote that still makes me roll my eyes and I don't even really care what happens to the flyers is Chuck Fletcher having a, a blank checkbook, uh, not how it works in a, in a salary cap league. So yeah, certainly a different direction they're taking there. Uh, you know, this team, obviously, if they want to go this direction would have a lot more work to do. I don't think it's the direction they're going to go. The Calgary Flames, uh, a lot of people looking to flee the ship there. Obviously, they have a lot of players or or at least a few signed a big ticket, big term deals. You're looking at Huberto, you're looking at Kadri, Uyghur as well. Uh, what do you make of what's happening in Calgary and how busy can we expect them to be? And I guess the question a lot of people are joining with that here in Toronto is how much of a relationship uh, do we think potentially Treliving and Craig Conroy would, ha- would have? Oh, it's it's a pretty deep relationship. There's no doubt about that. Um, Here's the thing. The understanding I have from the flames and this weekend, after all the reporting last week about guys that potentially would like to find themselves playing elsewhere is I I think the flames went back and took another swing over the last couple of days to try and re-sign these guys. And the main focus is still really trying to get, Elias Lindholm locked up. Now, I don't know how successful it's been. um, And they've made it really clear. We're willing to pay you big money, big term to stay. They recognize that the deal that they have to put on the table is somewhere in the neighborhood of the Bo Horvat and Dylan Larkin deals that were signed earlier last season. And they're willing to do it. They want to do it. The thing is, they haven't gotten that answer yet from Lindholm, at least even this weekend, far as I can tell. Now, I think as much as they may try with 
Michael Backlund and and maybe try and do it again with Tyler Toffoli, those situations and Noah Hannafin, I don't think are changing. Um, now, here's the thing. As valuable as Toffoli is coming off of a 73-point season career year at $4.25 million, and Hannafin under $5 million bucks. Those guys are probably pretty likely to be moved, but the fact of the matter is four, five, six guys, whatever it might be, that are entering the last year of their deal, not all of them can be moved in one week. And maybe they can. I, I just think it's far-fetched, that idea that all of these guys can be finding new homes in, in the span of 10 days. So he may have to keep a guy or two, and he may have to start next season with them. It might be uncomfortable, but um, I, I think there's no doubt that he's going to try and get a lot of business done this week and try and move a few of them, but I just don't know if he can get every single player done. And if so, how many pieces are you getting back that are going to help your team right now because they want to remain competitive? And how many are future assets that maybe you can begin to restock your cupboard draft-wise? It's, it's a really tough and difficult position to be in to try and do all of these things at once. Yeah, are you racing to the bottom with Danny Briere and the Philadelphia Flyers? Or are you trying to uh, maintain competitiveness? I mean, it was the same story last summer, and frankly, uh, while it looked good at the time, and in many people's eyes it looked good at the time, uh, that contract for Jonathan Huberdeau, uh, given where Calgary's at, does not look like an overly positive one. Uh, the easy connection there, of course, is yeah. Trey Living, who who Gunner mentioned. Uh, are you hearing anything mm-hmm. Reef, Leaf related right now? I mean, it's been markedly quiet with this team uh, since Trey Living took over, and maybe that makes a lot of sense because he's got a lot of internal stuff that he's got to sort out. But this team has to ice a roster uh, for training camp, and it seems like Trey Living uh, needs to get going here if he's going to add some meaningful talent to this group. Are you hearing anything on the Leaf front? I am. Uh, I think he's been pretty aggressively pursuing a new deal for William Nylander in the last number of days. Okay. Um, I, I'd hesitate to even speculate in terms of progress or what that might look like, but I do think the full court press has been on to try and get an answer. And obviously the conversation remains ongoing with Austin Matthews and his camp. I I still believe that the Matthews camp really doesn't have a whole ton of interest in putting pen to paper on, on a new deal until they have a real complete sense of what the lay of the land looks like. And by the way, that might mean like it's not until September or October or whenever that is still think, you know, there's, there's little doubt in my mind in terms of his interest and will to be a Toronto Maple Leaf. But the thing is, until it's done, it's not done. And that's sort of what the Leafs are wrestling with, with not just Matthews, but also Nylander. And then, as you mentioned, all of the roster spots that remain open on this team that Brad True Living has to fill out. I'm told he's also been very active in terms of making calls First off, it's Brad Tree Living. He calls on every player around the entire league to understand what the price is. But he has talked to some teams about, hey, is this guy available? You know, there is the potential for some Leaf trades um, as he looks to potentially put a little bit of a different stamp on the team. 
So I understand what you're saying about Matthews there, and I I think that this is a scenario that makes a lot of people uncomfortable. But I also totally can see it playing out that that way. My I guess my question is. Can you do a Nylander deal before you do a Matthews deal? Or would Nylander necessarily be willing to do one? Because one of the reasons why the Leafs have the salary structure they do is because the internal cap got set with John Tavares at $11 million, and then Austin Matthews passed it. You know, I'm not saying William Nylander thinks he's up with Matthews. He shouldn't think that way. But given the season just had, it's not going to be the gulf that we saw on the last two deals. How hard do you think it'll be to potentially get a deal done on William Nylander without knowing for both parties sake what the potential Austin Matthews contract looks like and then just in terms of Nylander we've heard a lot of Matthews in term of him looking at a shorter term deal the only guy in the NHL seemingly doing that but that will park that for now do we have any idea of any other parameters around around Nylander and what's possibly being discussed not sure on parameters again wouldn't want to hazard a guess uh, because I I don't have that info, but I do understand what you're saying about putting the pieces of the puzzle together and how does this all fit. And this is going to sound overly simplistic and it's not meant to, but I'm wondering if in some ways there's a, you know, the Leafs know that there's a general ballpark for both. And really what always ends up happening is the guys that get squeezed are, are the guys at the bottom of your lineup. And so maybe Brad Tree Living has to pivot on that part of it. And we're still talking about one year out from when you'd have to be, you know, dealing with those consequences, so to speak, of the increased cap hits. That in terms of building this team right now, maybe not as much of an issue, if that makes any sense. When so, co- Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that is a consideration. And then answering the Nylander part before you get to the Matthews part, is, is it possible? Yes. My big thing is, is Nylander going to take less than market value if that's what the ask is, knowing that the Leafs have to also pay Matthews when he could just wait and cash in potentially in a bigger way somewhere else? That's, I think, the bigger question. The Leafs seem really, it's really unlikely to let a player like Matthews out of their grasp, but they may have to when it comes to Nylander. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, You know, it's not like, you're not prioritizing because you've already prioritized. I mean, Austin Matthews is clearly the number one priority, but it is how these things interplay off each other, right? Like you mentioned Matthews wants to get a lay of the land does that like is that you know Nylander being the domino there? Is it seeing whether oh, he I makes his decision? First, that's the first and first and foremost is how do they handle William Nylander? I think. So what that's do you what do you think he wants to I see? Think, he you want to see a long term commitment to him, or you want to see if the money's being absorbed? Probably both. Mm. So yeah, I mean, we were talking or about like. Moved. Yeah, I mean, again, like, okay, so well, if, I think if, let, if let me Nylander... be totally. Go ahead. I, I just want to be totally transparent. Like, I do think there's a world out there that exists over these next ten days or two weeks or whatever it might be that if the Leafs can't get something done with William Nylander or feel like he's well out of the the park of what they're willing to pay, that Brad Tree Living won't hesitate to move him. Right. 
And you, you have to remember the history here because we've talked about the idea of scar tissue and Johnny Gaudreau and what happened in that situation in Calgary and allowing that player to walk for nothing and how I think Brad Tree Living, you know, and that's affected Craig Conroy now in Calgary too in terms of how he feels about how this all plays out. But you have to remember the sidebar to this is that Nylander and Gaudreau are represented by the same agent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So some of those same vibes and or feelings, not, they don't always carry over player to player and relationship between agent and GM, but somewhere in the back of Bradstreet Living's mind has to be, I already know how this played out last time I dealt with the same person on a very similar situation, a player of import to me that I wasn't able to get done. And I heard all the rhetoric of, Oh yeah, let's just, you know, let's keep playing it out. Let's keep talking. Let's keep talking. Do you think it he's didn't be- end up working out that well for him? Do you think he's better set up in this situation? Like the situation isn't the same despite, you know, a talented forward uh, represented by the same person. I mean, when you're trading Gaudreau, you're trying to replace him with Gaudreau, right? We're, we're talking about optimizing this Leaf roster for right, uh, for a while now. And if you make a move involving a core four player and sell them for a different type of player, it might actually a good be a good thing. Like in terms of the the return you're looking for, can he use that piece to try to optimize the group? Or do you think he's going to be looking for something comparable? I know that's very speculative, a speculative question or asking you to speculate. But do you think the scar tissue... Uh, you know, is some sort of, is a potential hang-up here because, frankly, we were sold on, hey, he can make a deal. Trill Living knows a lot of people. Trill Living knows how to operate in these spaces. But if we're talking about scar tissue with Trill Living, I mean, that's a bit of a concern. Oh, I, I think, I don't think it's a concern. I think it's a good thing because he goes in eyes wide open and he also recognizes the potentiality on both sides of, hey, if we get this guy locked up, great, and if not, we're not going to go way overboard with our, you know, the demands that are being put in place. We like William Nylander as a player. We know he's a talent, but at the same time, we also know that that talent is of value on the market. And to your point, I think it, it kind of presents you if, if it gets to that point, and again, not saying it's the path that they choose to go down the highway that they'd want to go down, but it provides you an off ramp of, well, if we don't, not really the end of the world because to your point, not only would we have more cap flexibility potentially on the back end of it, but could trade him for multiple pieces that might help better balance this team. As you mentioned, we've been talking about for eight years being too top heavy at the forward position. It would be uh, quite a big first swing for, for true living and not saying a bad one, but uh, it wouldn't be exactly uh, dipping your toe in the water. That'd be a big old cannonball. Uh, and I'm not saying I'm not here for it. Uh, Frank, really, really appreciate the time. Uh, thanks so much for chatting with us today. Have a good week, guys. Got to hydrate. Got to hydrate. There he goes. Uh, this insider has been brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit Don Valley North Lexus today. Uh, always, always great catching up with Frank there. The the idea of let's just park what a contract looks like. Let's just say it comes down to that of I don't I don't want to paint him as a afraid, but Brad Trilliving doesn't want to go down that road again. No tractions being had. You move William Nevander. Man, that is a big, big swing early on. And I think I'm not going to say a fork in the moment for 
how he is as Leafs GM. Obviously, there's many moments, but it will be for a fan base that I think is very curious. Even the people who are bullish on the hire are saying, I'd like to know what he's going to do. There hasn't been a ton of indication one way or another. That'd be a massive fork in the road moment for his perception early on as Leafs GM. Yeah, uh, it's a little terrifying. Uh, if, you know, uh, would it, just it, want to get on record. Agree. Terrifying. Yeah, it, it's terrifying that the Nylander decision could really, really affect things. Because like, we've been talking about Nylander in isolation a lot. Like yep. Nylander happens after. Nylander's Nylander. He's a mm-hmm. little different. He's core for me a little different. But if Matthews is watching this uh, scenario very cl- closely. Better with, you intently. cannot you cannot bring back Tyson Berry and Alex Kerfoot yeah. in that trade. So you're you're worried about the return, how Matthews gauges the return. You worry about the money on an extension. Mm-hmm. You worry about hey, maybe does he? It, uh, am I getting not that he's getting squeezed, but nope. are we leaving enough here? Like it, a lot of this, and I've we've been talking about this a lot. Austin Matthews holds way too much power. In these well, okay, so way too much power. I'm happy you bring up the power thing because, and I want to be clear, this is a dangerous, dangerous game to play. But if you think he does have too much power and you're also pretty certain he wants to be a Toronto Maple Leaf, that is one of the few ways you can exert it back and apply some pressure is by sucking up that cap space. Now, I'm not saying you overspend to the point where you leave mm-hmm. him 11 million bucks left and say, take it or leave it. Obviously, you do not do that. You do not play that hardball. But if there is, if let's say Nylander's locked up and there's still you know, 18 million left in the budget, Matthews has the room to ask for the world. The more you suck out of that budget before having the conversation with Matthews. Now, you need to be certain he wants to be here. You need to be certain that you can play a bit of hardball. But Mm -hmm. if you are so worried about the player having too much power, I honestly think that is one of the, again, extremely dangerous, but one of the few ways you can claw some back. I think the gamble here and in that vein Mm -hmm. is you're doing that with Nylander. Because I think you're gambling on Willie wanting to be here. I am very, I am way less certain that William Nylander is dying to be a Leaf than I am with I'm pretty confident he does. Here's why I think it's different. I genuinely, in my heart of heart, think both guys, if if they had their druthers, would be Leafs for the foreseeable future. Mm -hmm. I actually believe that. The difference is only one of them can go down as the greatest player in franchise history. And I love William Nylander. Nylanderthal, hand up. It's not going to be him. It's not happening. It's not going to be him. It, it should, should this team ever accomplish anything in my lifetime, Austin Matthews will almost in certainty go down yeah. as the greatest leaf of well, all time. Well, I, I think I think both can coexist, and we got to go here pretty soon. But I think this. I mean, when a Frank's when a Frank interview Ben gets, loves my baseball when, takes. When, he, I see him back. When there. a Frank interview gets serious, we got to go on it for a second. Um, I think you still have this year. And if you can sign both these guys to long-term deals, you do it now. You do it as soon as possible. And if you sacrifice 2024-25 mm-hmm. because it's the last year of Tavares and the cap jumps after that, mm-hmm. you deal with it. You try and win this year. You take a little bit of a, a, a step back, the, the, the final year of yep. Tavares' contract, and then you got, these, you got the money coming in and you got these guys locked up. I think that should be priority one, just getting these two done and seeing where that takes you. If you got to spend a lot, and you're going to have to spend a lot yep. of money, to keep them both, I think you do it just for that reason alone. But I like the fact that you're gambling a little bit on Nylander wanting to be here. And if he does not want to be here and you can't keep the price down, this is a really good asset. William Nylander is a really, really good asset that could bring something back. So I feel like dealing with Nylander first isn't the worst thing in the world. Yeah, I, I don't I don't have a problem with the way that's done. I am dying to know. Because with Matthews, we don't like the term in the numbers, but we have a pretty good idea of what it is. 
uh, with Nylander. Uh, if we go do a straw poll on the text line or people in the office or our buds, there is a massive chasm between what people think that number should look like and who knows where the player and his agent believe uh, it does not start with single digits uh, where they're where they're sitting at. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, we will talk about this probably a lot more All week. tomorrow. We'll have a lot to discuss. I'm sure I think we're going to get a legitimate, not that we didn't just get a legitimate news item, uh, but we're going to get some leaf rumblings all week and we will be all over it. Uh, again, the NHL Awards tonight on Sportsnet. Uh, Nashville, 8 p.m. Eastern on our network. And we're going to need another chair in here because we got two Blue Jays guests coming in next, Ben Shulman and Show Ali, who will be hosting Jays Talk Plus today in place of Blake Murphy. We'll, into, we'll come into the studio here. We'll get a head start on Jays Talk Plus. That is after the break. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Mary Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. This is your force, first reminder, excuse me, for a wake and rake selection. We have a couple in, so you know we'll be our, okay. You know our tennis sick O'Neal. We'll be okay. Hooked we can go with up. Neil. But if you want to get in there, uh, we will fit in a very, 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 very quick wake and rake at the end of the show. Also, we were talking about this. Sorry, guys. Uh, just, just everybody has some athletes. You know, you guys are both a little more professional, especially one of you. I won't. You can decide that amongst yourselves. <laughs> well, he looked yeah. in one of their directions. Yeah, okay. you said it's on the radio. That everybody out there doesn't know is that you know most people have athletes that just kind of rub them the wrong way. There's a guy in the text line just eviscerating Keegan Bradley as we were talking about him. So shout out to that guy who just. Okay. I love. I love a little sports hate. Uh, but we're going to be positive because the Blue Jays, they won a couple of games this weekend. Uh, they did. And to talk about that and more, let's bring in our hosts for Jays Talk Plus today and who've been doing a great job covering the Jays all season long. Ben Shulman, Show Ali, Blue Jays broadcasters, of course, here at Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Good morning, fellas. How are we doing? Good morning. Thanks Good morning, so much guys. for uh, having us. Uh, uh, no problem. Uh, thanks for coming in. We always love having people come in. Uh, always a lot of fun. Uh, you're in for Blake Murphy today, the two of you. Have you been like brushing up on the like the nerdiest stats possible? Like, how do you prepare to fill in for Blake Murphy? I feel like that to like very, wrestling? very difficult. Big AEW weekend? Is that, is that where you go? How do you prepare for Jay's Talk Plus? So I've gotten like eight tattoos in the last week. Oh, so I've got to okay. kind of cover my arm. I'm really trying to grow my facial hair out right now. I know there was an AEW event yesterday. I mm-hmm. saw that on Twitter, and I feel like that was... Kind of an act. That's about, of all, God. I, that's about yeah. all I got as well for yeah, you on that. I, I saw CM Punk, who I believe that was his walkout okay. song that just played coming Man. out there from break. Uh, People on the text line are telling me there's a wrestling fan back there, and I certainly believe it, but I don't <laughs> I don't know. I saw he got booed yesterday, okay. so that's my wrestling contest. All right, that's pretty good. That's well, pretty apparently good. it takes two people to replace Blake. That's true. So uh, I guess that's I guess that speaks highly of Blake, I suppose. Yeah, it takes a Herculean effort or just like every stat possible exactly. that you can come up with. So Babbitt. expect to hear those words a lot. I was gonna no, say those like, are I gotta be honest. Those are too mainstream. I know what both of those are. I need X Okay, so uh let's not let's not belabor the lead here. Uh we have been waiting, well, uh, you know, you guys more than me, because I, I in and out with my Blue Jays dalliances. You guys are living and dying with it every day. Uh how nice is it that we don't have to uh, you know, bury Vladimir Guerrero Jr. because he had an awesome weekend? Uh was there anything more important? for the team this weekend. I know they got the series win and, you know, Kikuchi looked great, but in my opinion, not even just from a fan base perspective, but from the team, there's, there's, in my opinion, nothing bigger that could have happened than Vladdy having the weekend he did. Ben, we'll start with you. 
Yeah, it was massive. I mean, you could even argue in, in game one, a game that they lost to the worst team in baseball, that it was more a positive than a negative because Vladdy hit that home run and, and because he had all that emotion. They, you know, a lot of people are asking for trades, and I'm sure we'll get into that in a little bit more coming up today on Jay's Talk Plus, but they are going to win because of the guys already on the roster, and Vladdy's a huge part of that, and he was he was awesome. Like, he was as good as he's really been all season. It's, it's not a great team. No one's going to deny that, but it's still major league pitching, and and he looked really good. I think to the seeing his approach not be too different from game to game to game was very positive for me because we've seen so much this season. Vladdy expand when he doesn't need to expand or he does things which is which seems uncharacteristic for him sometimes. And I remember we we went to go talk to John Schneider on the Saturday and he basically said like, Hey, look, I went to go with Vlad and I said, don't budge, don't change a single thing. And then he hit another home run <laughs> on Saturday. And yesterday he did no, no a third uh, straight day with a home run, but he did knock in a couple runs and uh, the ball ate up the center fielder a couple times given how hard he hit it at the Rogers center turf. So uh, it's, it's just good to see his approach staying consistent because the consistency at the plate has not been there basically until now. Yeah, it seemed like we saw some of those deficiencies from Oakland in center field oh, over man. the weekend. It was a oh, bit yeah. of a nightmare uh, out there uh, for them. It was Ramel Tapia is just misjudging the hop completely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, it takes a little time to get used to it. Uh, so a great team, right, is uh, better than the sum of its parts. And I argued this morning that a great partnership, and it's kind of a weird partnership, but I see a partnership or at least a pretty strong kinship between George Springer and Vladimir Guerrero Jr., like this may be a bit of a stretch, but we're stretching on, on a 162 game baseball season. But I feel like Vlad's struggles almost kind of hurt George just a little bit because I feel like those two feed off each other so much. And the fact that they both had nice weekends, not that it's like, oh, you need something extra from Vladdy's weekend. Vladdy's weekend was Vladdy's weekend, but George hitting a milestone as well. And I think those two, the interactions they have, the way that they feel for one another, and like just if you lay it out in simple baseball terms, well, you got a leadoff hitter and a guy that bats cleanup. If they're working, the team is going to function pretty well. Do you see some sort of that? And I'll start with you, show between George and Vladdy. Yeah, I, def I definitely think so. I mean, because George Springer, I would say for a large chunk of the season, has been scuffling to a certain degree, right? Like he he was sick at the start of the year, then he was just he was in a rut as well, and then he he wasn't really seemingly coming out of the rut very easily. And for him to get some kind of milestone, surpasses Alfonso Soriano's record second all time is great for him because the other the other half of it, kind of what you're saying, Justin, is the team absolutely needs at the very at the very least two of the three of Bo, Vladdy, and George to be good at the same time. They can't have like Bo being good for stretches and they and the other two being in ruts or Vladdy being good for stretches and the other two being in ruts. So that Bo has been good basically all season and now Vladdy's starting to come around and now that George starting to come around, I know hitting is contagious is like one of the biggest cliches you'll ever find, and, and maybe I'm in the leaning entire sport. heavily into that. Right yeah, now. but I, I I think it's I think there probably is some merit to it because you see these guys at batting practice they bat they when in batting practice they're in those little pods, the little groups or whatever, and you see them talk to each other after they they take some swings and so on. So I don't know. I think it's I I subscribe to the hitting is contagious thing, and I'm I'm on board with what you're saying. Yeah, I think so, too. And at the end of the day, they are going to get rewarded more for their good hitting if everyone's hitting at the same time. If if George is hitting well, like he said, probably a pretty good month, but he's stranded on base all the time and they're losing, he can't go into the clubhouse after the game mm -hmm. and feel that good about his day, even if he had a good day because they lose. But if he hits a double and then Vladdy doubles him in and then Chapman hits mm -hmm. a homer, 
all of a sudden they can all celebrate together, it brings them closer together. And and George and Vladdy at the same time are pretty much as good friends as I think you can have on this Blue Jays team. They're all over each other all the time in the dugout, on the field, before the game and stuff like that. So I, I just think when everyone's working together, this is one of the louder, more fun dugouts and clubhouses there is. And they're getting to do that a little bit now because they've won four out of five games. Uh, you got to start taking more vacation when the Jays are at home so I can fill in for you again. Okay. So I can offer those tidbits like <laughs> I stood around the cage because I, I love dropping that last summer. It makes me sound way more uh, important than, let's be honest, uh, I am. Uh, obviously, when it comes to pitching, the question marks, Ben, you and I have talked about this show, the same is Alec Manoa. We're not going to sit here and speculate because I'm just operating under the assumption that he is not here until he is. And then when he is, we'll deal with whatever version of that we get. I think the big swing point in the rotation right now for this season is coming down to the guy who had a rough go this weekend. He's had a rough go his last three starts. It's it's Chris Bassett. Now, I'll be honest. I was down on the signing from the jump. This is more the version of what I expected to see. Now, two of the teams he got lit up against, I believe, Orioles and Texas, two really, really strong offenses. Obviously, Oakland isn't that. Given that Manoa is, again, until he's gone, I don't think you can bank on him. Just how far can this team go if Chris Bassett is going to be your third starter? Because I think it's pretty safe to say Barrios is two and obviously Gosman is one. Where are you at on, on Bassett and I guess the concern level there if he's going to be your, your three moving forward? I'll start with you, Ben. It's definitely concerning. It is funny because, you know, prior to three starts ago, I mean, he had a phenomenal ERA. He's pitched a shutout this year. Some of the longer appearances the Blue Jays have had but clearly he is having trouble retiring lefties. I, I don't think that's a secret. The splits are outrageous. The OPS he gives up to lefties is above 1,000, and it's below 600 to righties. He's dominating right-handed hitters, but if the Oakland Athletics of all teams, by far the worst offense in baseball, can stack lefties and still get you in trouble, that's a big issue. So for the Blue Jays, you know, it's it's an interesting spot. I think he can be much better than a, th a third starter on a lot of days. And at times he can be a lot worse than a third starter when, you know, lefties are really hitting him. So I, I'm not in complete panic about it, but there needs to be an adjustment coming up soon. Barrio said a lot of these issues last year, didn't get through them during the season. They're very different guys. But if Bassett can even just hold lefties to a, a slightly above average clip, then he should be in a good spot, I think, for the Blue Jays to, you know, be their third starter and still fight for a, a spot in a wild card playoff series or a DS if they, you know, get there and have to line up three starters for the playoffs. Well, after, after Bassett's most recent start, I remember he went to the media, and by the way, Bassett, no matter how well he is pitching, no matter how poorly he is pitching, he is the one of the hardest guys on himself, and in, in maybe in all of baseball. It's very he, Jack Campbell he, of him. Yeah, he, he, will, <laughs> he will fall on the sword every time out, even if he pitches well. But uh, Bassett, he, he said to the media that, he was he's no longer calling his own pitches, which I thought was interesting because he's maybe one of the only guys in the team, and you see it all the time. The broadcast picks it up. He'll reach to his the right side of his belt and, and type in some code into the pitchcom device. And he basically said he's not doing that anymore. And I it's I find that interesting because how recent how recent a development is that? Do we know? Like, he, he like has it been in the last three starts, for example? I think he, he has <laughs> said. I think in the in the not the most recent start, but the one right before, okay. he did say he had he was having some trouble with it, but they didn't say they were moving off of sure. it. And then after the Oakland start, he said he's okay. not. He's just like I'm not. I'm not calling my own pitches anymore. Okay. Which is which is so fascinating because he is one of the more particular guys. I think all pitchers probably are to a certain extent, Gunner. But I uh, I wonder with Bassett because he's always said I want my catcher to set up in a certain way. I want this guy to be here for this pitch and this guy. And he throws a million pitches <laughs> as we know. But uh, now that Bassett is not calling his own pitches, I kind of wonder what that'll look like because. 
he pitches pretty well when Kirk is his catcher, and Kirk's not eligible to come back off the IL until after the Giants series, after which point I assume we will see. And Bassett is going to pitch against the San Francisco Giants. So I'll be fascinated to see what it looks like with Jansen calling the pitches as he did for the majority of the Oakland start. So just you, I wasn't going to, I didn't have it in my uh, notes to talk about Alejandro Kirk as a catcher today, but this is the second straight year, right? We go back to last year and him and Manoa had an awesome connection going on. And, you know, I think when most people close their eyes and think of the Blue Jays catchers, and this is way too arbitrary or way too one-dimensional and not even true, to be perfectly honest, but they think of Kirk as the bat and they think of Jano as the game caller. It's interesting that Kirk, this is the second straight year where he has a guy that he seems to have a pretty good kind of relationship that way do you think Kirk gets enough and I mean feel free to basically be like yeah you Gunner you don't give him enough credit do you think that Kirk gets enough credit for what he is as a catcher as opposed to just the bat that we haven't seen this year but we hope comes around probably not if only because he has been pretty consistent with a lot of the pitchers he has caught this year it probably does speak to the developments he's taken from a game calling perspective year over year because I remember last year Danny Jansen missed two stints due due to injury and in both of those times I remember we were we we were chatting with like Joe and Buck and all of the other Sportsnet analysts. Too. We have a lot of catching analysts also here here at Sportsnet. But uh, they were all t- talking about the game-calling ability and the pitch-framing ability of Alejandro Kirk. So it clearly has gotten better. It's clearly something he has worked on. It's just unfortunate now he is on the shelf. But uh, Danny Jansen's not a bad replacement. You know, it's, I, I saw this. I, I love Danny Jansen. My favorite Blue Jay. It's not Gunner, the best one, but he's my favorite. He over 162 games in his, in his last 162 games, which obviously takes into account the injuries, but over his last 162, he has hit 33 home runs. That's crazy. <laughs> like, that's insane. If he's if this guy is healthy, he mm-hmm. could probably push 40 home runs. If Slam Ojano, baby. See, that's it. That's what we're looking for in Jay's Talk <laughs> Plus. Last 162 games for Danny Jansen. An impressive stat there. Okay, we got to get to a show favorite here, which is Yusei Kikuchi, who clearly had a really, really stellar He tried to outing. make me say nice things about him. And I, could he really <laughs> bring myself to do it? Let's get back to it. We've waited too long and Gunnar already uh, was negative about you say, which is a rule. You cannot do that here. Just heads up to both okay. of you. Uh, Don't let that color your answer one way or another. <laughs> Seven innings for him yesterday. Longest start uh, in a Blue Jays uniform. Longest start in two years for him or almost two years. He had to ask for it on the way to the dugout after the sixth inning. Do you think that he deserves or has earned a little bit more of a leash, given that he's been really good for the most part this season, had a bit of a dip in May, really good the last six starts, really good since Alec Manoa has left. Um, But also, like, you know, this bullpen's been taxed, and Yusei Kikuchi's had, like, a hard ceiling on a lot of his, his starts, and he's been pitching really, really well this year as a fifth starter. Has he earned more? Like, if he puts himself... To go seven, should he get that rather than hey, someone's telling you hard five cap on, on Yusei Kikuchi? I, I think so. I think it is a little bit of a start to start basis. See how he looks in the first three innings. But you mentioned with four starters, the bullpen has pitched so many innings recently. They can't really afford to five and dive him like they were before. They need to try and push him to a sixth inning unless it's dangerous in the game and they really have everyone rested. And he's looked phenomenal his last two starts. You could argue his last two were his best two as a Blue Jay. He had some good starts early in the year, but the command right now, the confidence, I mean, he had just a beautiful delivery yesterday in, I think it was his last batter where he kicked his foot up all the way above his head and almost fell off the mound, throwing like 97 from the left side. You just don't really see that around baseball. There are very few lefties that throw as hard as him. And if he's not missing over the middle of the plate, which he will at times, he's given up a lot of home runs this year. There's no way around that. But 
because he's not walking guys like he did last year, even yesterday, it's a solo shot, and you can really work with that. Now, it was the athletics, but he still pitched really, really well, and I think at this point, you have to assume more six innings for Kikuchi than five innings until a Manoa, a Ryu, or someone else jumps into that rotation, and then maybe you think about going start to start again uh, and some five and dive starts to keep the team in the game because the bullpen is really good. Yeah, it's true. I think at the very least until the all-star break, you'll probably see him get a little bit more of a leash just because there's <laughs> there's just not many yeah. other options you have here. We're going to probably see Trevor Richards bat in Francis on Canada Day, and, and you're still going to be asking for, at the very least, six innings from Kikuchi. But, uh, you know, it's funny, Justin, we were talking about this on JSTOC yesterday. Someone asked if... Uh, Kikuchi is deserving of an all-star nod this year. Mm. Santiago and, has and been all ruined everyone. I, I, think, <laughs> I, think, I think that is a part of it. Yeah. You see so many Blue Jays go to the all-star game, you think, yeah, maybe maybe he should. I, I, I want I want to say yes so badly because like you, I am a part of the Kikuchi hive, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, pro- probably won't happen, but I don't know how many people had Kikuchi all-star replacement level and Manoa getting demoted on their bingo card this well, year. It's all relative, right? Like He shouldn't go to an all-star game, but if we're doing all-star fifth starters... Yeah, you sure. Know, first, you, you, yeah, say, yeah. you say yeah. in the proper context, he's been very, very good this year. Yeah. Listen to you guys. He's still the, he's the third <laughs> best starter on the team, and I, and you could argue that one of the starters maybe should make the all-star game. Like, Barrios won't be an all-star either. No, it should be. Oh, it should you. be. That's a yeah. good answer, man. Good job. Go. Yeah. If, we're being, I mean, if we're being honest. This country is trying to send everyone, and I'm, like, yeah. a little embarrassed for that. Like, I'm just cringing looking at all, like, the, the whole Blue Jays infield is starting. Like, it's too much. I do not want to see that. You say Kikuchi can just have a great season in the fifth starters role. I think we'll all be happy. Yeah. Except for Gunner. That, no, I'll be happy. We just have to stop sending him to the All-Star game and saying he is a he is a great third option in a wildcard series. He's an okay you one if that's what it Kikuchi? comes with. Huh? No, no, I said this. The only way I'm going to come full bore is if he gets the ball in a World Series game and the oh fans, when the U.S. Anthem plays, go, oh, say Ken, you see, or something like that. Like, I think that's the only way uh, I'm going to be uh, completely on board with that. All right, we got to we gotta talk gambling. We got to sneak it in. You guys uh, get out of here. Go prep for your show. Uh, that was tons of fun. There they go. Ben and show Jays talk plus talking blue Jays at all times. Uh, should you see them in the street? Ask them a question. I'm sure they would love to answer it there. Uh, we got to do a wake and rake uh, here. Yeah. I was going to say just quickly yeah. that you, normally people have to like run to do Jays yes. talk plus in the other studio, yeah. but there is an hour break. You guys can still an hour prep. I don't know. They could use some cardio. But, <laughs> what are you trying to say? Just saying we all could. We work in radio, bud. We could reason all, we're not on TV. We could all, they're going to be, we could all use some cash as well. So let's <laughs> hit the wake and rake. Wake up! Now it's time for Wake and Rake. You could be raking in the dough with your kind of accuracy. Show me the money! With Ailish and Justin. Okay, I will get mine out of the way quick, quickly because Chris in Mississauga is also sharing a brain. Uh, Reds and Orioles over nine and a half. Listen, I'm a little... I'm, I'm kind of caught up in the red stuff. I'm right. caught up in Ellie De La Cruz and Joey Votto, but I know the Orioles can slug it too. So I'm expecting runs between the Reds and Orioles will go over nine and a half. I like that. Uh, Mike Trout, have you heard of him? Good at baseball. Do you think he'll get on base even one time tonight? Over half a total base minus 130. Feels like a lot. Gotta say. And we got to go because I'm sharing a brain with our other pick here uh, with Neil from Newfoundland. And this, I've never been more convinced that he's messing with me with this name, but he's got Seaboth Wild, Tiago Seaboth Wild on the money line over 
Hele Cells, I think it is. I mean, that is <laughs> that is really difficult for me. He got it, Batista Oju winning uh, Elisa set on Friday. So Neil's hot. It's See Both Wild or Say Both Wild on the money line. Minus 160 from Neil in Newfoundland. You add all those up and it's plus 457 with the over in the Reds and Orioles. Mike Trout over bases and See Both Wild. I'm hoping I got that correct. Gunner. One of five down. Mm -hmm. We got each other all week. We got NHL content all week. Yes. We're going to have a lot of Blue Jays stuff as well. It's going to be a fun weekend. We'll be at the Joe Carter Classic on Wednesday, a four-hour show at a golf course. We'll both be happy there. We will chat tomorrow. <laughs>